Hello, horror fans. It's me, Cassandra, with the Horrorcraft Podcast. And today, I am flying solo, but I have a very special guest. I have on my friend, Gavin Michael Booth. Gavin is a wonderful filmmaker and all-around jack-of-trades, and his movies are immaculate. We're going to talk about two of his movies today, Last Call and The Scare House. Um, But before we get to that... I just wanted to wish everyone a happy new year and we are officially back. I will make a video later on in the month explaining why we took a break. Um, But this year we're looking forward to new things, new experiences and having on new guests, old guests, everything in between. And we would love for you to join us in that adventure. So if you like this episode, please subscribe to our channel. And find us on Facebook at The Horrorcraft Podcast. Um, So let's get this thing started. Cue the music. Hello, horror fans. It's me, Cassandra. And today I am flying solo, Ed. But I have a special guest on. We have Gavin Michael Booth. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you on. You are a literal jack of all trades. I cannot emphasize this enough. I mean, you direct, you write, you produce, you, I mean, you literally do everything. You are everywhere. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm just bored if I'm not doing something creative. So le- learning, learning new skill sets helped to make sure I always had something to do. Yeah. yeah but I mean, you, your movies are amazing and we're going to talk about two coming up here um the scare house which if you haven't seen at this point i i don't know what to tell you um (laughs) for all the listeners out there and then last call but before that we're just going to do a little icebreaker we're just going to talk about horror as horror fans do and um so we'll go ahead and get started the the first question and i can never do the like a ghost voice or anything like that but what is your favorite scary movie it could be like your all-time favorite or one that you're just really loving right now what's my favorite scary movie um i nightmare on elm street the original nightmare on elm street is my all-time favorite i it had to have been one of the first horror movies that i'd seen but aside from that it just it's still holds up i I think it was just because it's it's almost a science fiction film at the same time with the kind of like dream weaving and being able to come back from the dead i I just i've just always loved it and i I love that mythology i know some of the sequels get kind of silly and stuff but uh nightmare on street for the win just just creeped me out i remember vividly my dad letting me rent it on vhs i don't know why any any parent would do that because i was young and uh, watch it with my brother. My brother just had a blanket over his head for 90% of the movie. But I was like, <laughs> what is this? I love this. And uh, I just fell in love with Freddie. But but the I think the most terrifying film I've ever seen um, is Funny Games, is the most disturbing movie of all time. Um, it's, it's on that list of things where I, I've actually seen it twice, but I generally say like the movies I will never watch again list. And that is very close to the top. Yeah, that's that's a brutal, brutal movie. Um, yeah, I can relate to that though. My first scare experience was Nightmare on Elm Street. It wasn't the original, but it was um Wes Craven's new nightmare. My mm. uncle and my father were supposed to be watching me and they thought I fell asleep and they put it on and I watched the whole entire thing. Um, but I loved it. I I was scared but oddly intrigued about it. There's just something about Freddy that's like very welcoming but also absolutely terrifying like he's you know you want to give him a hug but then you're also afraid he's going to stab you Um, I liked I liked that movie because it brought it back to Freddy being scary versus like a jokester and kind of the star of the show and that like I I can't think of a meta movie that existed before that where it was you know you have Wes Craven and uh Nancy not the uh, Heather Langenkamp like playing themselves even Johnny yeah. Depp playing themselves in a movie where Freddy's coming out of the movie to kill them and I don't on rewatch nowadays I don't love the actual move the execution of the movie but I think the concept was so great you know after you've had all these other tired sequels 
it's like what do you do and i also think that what uh dream warriors the third one is like it wrote the textbook for what everyone does now like the what do they call it like a soft reboot like the force awakens for star wars because it's yeah. like well, what are we doing okay we're going to bring in a new generation of kids they're they're being plagued by the same problems and uh how do we how do we train them well we'll bring back one of the original stars and she has to come in and pass the torch and, and lead it on like this is this is the the playbook for the force awakens and halloween 2018 and all of these other things like I, I feel like uh dream warriors did it first yeah most definitely like i can definitely see what you're saying like it is something that's not as novel now but mm -hmm. back then, like that was like the first movie we really saw where they were doing that. So, um, and it is, it's fantastic in its own way. Um, I remember it for the TV scene. Like I, Welcome I just, to prime time, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that to me is just ingrained in my head. Like I, uh, whenever I think of Nightmare on Elm Street, I always think about um, getting sucked into the bed and the TV. Like that's the big one for, for me. For me, it's the uh, the the vein opening when he turns. Oh my gosh! Yes. Blah, blah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely very creative. Um, something that kind of lends into this is a favorite B movie of yours. Oh man, that's actually a question no one has ever asked me. Um, what's yours? Give me a frame of reference. Um, so one of mine <laughs> is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, um, that's a good one. Yeah, I I feel like so Killer Clowns from Outer Space when it first came out. Um, I grew up in the area like in the era where um sci-fi started becoming really big. Mm -hmm. And that for like a midwest girl who didn't have access to a lot of horror was like mind altering. So I remember watching Killer Clowns and being like absolutely terrified i remember having to walk a friend home after that and i'm like they're gonna get us they're i'm i'm a, and i'm 13 years old at this time but i'm like walking around like oh these people are just gonna come and get us it's gonna be over but then i watched it a month later and i was fine so it kind of like helped me like okay clowns are fine but it's just so I, much fun yeah it's it, it and it's amazing. I know they've talked about a sequel for years, but I mean, it's a, still a popular Halloween mask, and like just that that artwork and the design of the clowns and the the the, the cotton candy cocoons. That that's definitely a good one. B movies because it's funny. As a kid, I went to the video store one summer. My my old neighbor, I actually just saw him Saturday at a wedding. Eli Parents. He and I would ride ride our bikes to the video store and rent between four and six movies every day in the summertime and just stay up all night and you know, drink Dr. Pepper and watch horror movies. But we did, we did A to Z in the video store at that time and watched everything. So I've seen every, I mean, I'm, I'm like Sleepaway Camp counts as a B movie, yeah, right? That's definitely, definitely a B movie. That, that's up there. It's probably that. Cause I watched that just being like, it was such a fresh kind of twist on, on the slasher story that hadn't been done before. Yeah, and I think it's one of those movies that you can never, once you've seen it, you can never go back to the first time that you, like, saw it. Like, having that twist and, like, just kind of coming out of nowhere. Like, I have people who ask me about it all the time who haven't seen it, and I'm like, I will literally not tell you about this movie. You just need to go watch yeah, you it yourself. Watch it. You can't have anyone spoil that for you. Yeah. yeah, it's funny how you mentioned, though, the popularity, because, like, they've been trying to do a video game for Killer Clowns for years, and now, like, it just came out of nowhere that you're going to do it. Um, So I'm hoping that that kind of means that they're finally maybe going to be able to do a sequel, but then I'm also kind of a little worried about them doing a sequel as well, because, like, how I do you just follow bought a, I just bought a board game. Well, I helped crowdfund it, but it's uh based on My Bloody Valentine. Um, George, the director of the original in the eighties is the friend. And we were at a like comic convention together and, and hanging out. He had, the, he had these ads before. He's like, yeah, these guys have approached me and they wanted to do a board game. So they actually let me help them design it and like contribute to the story. Like as the original writer and director, I'm like, that's amazing. I'm like, I have to support this. This sounds so much fun. Um, that's amazing. My, I love my bloody Valentine. So I will have to go find that now. Um, but yeah, I, I love my bloody Valentine. Like my bloody Valentine, I feel like is so underappreciated as a slasher film. Um, especially for how neat that can be in the environment. Like 
I recently just watched it and it was my first time watching in a couple years and I was just kind of mesmerized about how it like really holds up and you know obviously growing up in like a rural area like you know mines and different things like that like the atmosphere that they have in it is so true and I feel like that's hard to kind of get anymore so um but a game for that would be so interesting um so I will definitely have to check that out um what is your favorite horror genre since we've been talking about slashers oh man I do love slashers I think I think like the goat the ghost demon kind of kind of arena because that you know one of my all-time favorite horror movies that's not even a decade old yet is is um it follows i think oh, with the sort of like ghost demon you know sort of poltergeist area there's just so much to be explored and constantly gets reinvented in super fresh ways because poltergeist is up there and i know poltergeist is like arguably not even a horror movie it's just kind of a drama that happens to be this horrible situation happening to people but uh all all the classic ghost tales and things i i love and i think i think i like that genre the best because they tend to do fresher things more often with it yeah i mean definitely ghosts are kind of one of those things where you kind of get to play on it like i know recently like there have been a lot of different ones that have kind of had a different take and like we keep seeing different kind of genre bending different ones so i think that that's really good i love slashers and i think that's because in slashers the monster is a human like it it shows us humanity is can be the worst kind of monster yeah it's these deep dark urges that are inside of people that can rear their ugly head so it's interesting to see how that um plays out and even slashers sometimes how you root for the person you're not supposed to be rooting for um yeah i mean you've got you've got Dahmer on netflix which i which i binged and it, it's sort of the whole world apparently but it's uh it, it's fascinating and obviously true crime is is massive on on all these streaming services and documentaries so yeah i think slashers sort of lend into that of like getting a little bit to peel the curtain back in a safe way and watch a slasher story but also knowing that generally there's going to be somebody that gives them their comeuppance by the by the end of the film so they're not they're not going to get away with their crimes generally speaking you know until they're resurrected for the 17th time but i again i feel like slashers have had some of the most inventive sequels and and sequel like setups because you know it's okay friday the 13th part four we we killed them jason's actually dead well I guess it's successful. We got to make another one. It'll be an imposter in the fifth one. Kind of smart. Not the best one in the franchise, obviously. Okay. That didn't work that well. Part six. Uh, what if he digs him up and puts a, you know, stabs him to make sure he's dead for real. And then he gets hit by lightning and now he's Frankenstein and now he's immoral. You're like, brilliant. We can just keep bringing him back forever. Like they just, they always had, a, what is it? Part seven that has um, the, the telekinetic girl. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Blood. Uh, my friend Craig is in that movie as well. Uh, he's he's the token black guy in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, but he but that movie is, um, it's just it's fantastic. And I just I think that slasher movies often have such this this amazing way to like we got to keep finding a way to bring the killer back and have new final girls that that aren't that break the mold as well. So I I don't think they because of the genre they're in the time period some of these were made in the 80s and kind of low budget movies i don't think they get the credit for the inventiveness of the of the stories they were telling no they don't we talk about this at different times that we're actually going to have an episode where we talk about the film in particular but the stepfather to me is always mm. the most eerie because Quinn. yeah because <laughs> and he's amazing in that but the fact that that was based off of john list and the murder he committed, and at the time that they did that, they had no idea, like, what was going on with that. Like, that was unsolved for a really long time. And the fact that they kind of hit the head on the nail with the mm-hmm. fact that he did go off and start a whole new life with another family, just went on and acted like nothing ever happened. And his neighbors are the one that called America's Most Wanted. And we're like, hey, we think our neighbor is that serial killer that you guys had on there. And it ended up being him. But like the fact that the director was like, hey, look, I just kind of 
thought, okay, maybe this is what he's doing. And we just went with it. And then it ended up actually being it. Like, that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So truth, truth is always stranger than fiction. I remember the second was good too, but even again, an inventive franchise. Oh, we can't get Terry Quinn back for the third one. Uh, he had a facelift. We'll just get a different actor. Like, they just <laughs> kept it going anyways. Yeah. And it's the second one to me, especially like the like whole wedding thing at the end like that to me was just like us like that makes the whole entire movie like that scene really just kind of gets the whole entire encompassment of what everything that they're trying to say so i do i exactly like you can only kill someone so many times Mm -hmm. but in slasher movies you just have to keep killing the different people but with maybe with the same person who was killing before but maybe we're going to make him a little different so i do think it's kind of interesting to see how they do it so i really like some of the music that you have in your movie um (laughs) so i'm very interested to see what your answer is to this but what is your favorite horror movie soundtrack soundtrack of of band songs or like the score to a horror movie either one i mean it's it's the goat it's halloween like the the halloween score john what john carpenter did by himself on a low budget movie and just the fact that you could you could start that ding, 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 and everybody on the planet knows exactly what it is and it, it was just so like driving and the way he would build it with the synth coming up behind it I think is amazing but but all of those it's really like those I don't think anything's ever been as iconic because you got like the what is it Henry Mancini that did the Friday the 13th movies and yeah yeah you know the famously like is it kill 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 die 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 that people yes. think it yeah yeah, yeah yeah you know and then uh Nightmare on Elm Street just the uh I mean, too, the the one, two, Freddy's coming for you, like the nursery rhyme or the dum, 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 dum. Like, it's it's just also iconic. And I don't, I can't think of like a modern horror movie. Like, It Follows had that amazing like 80s, like synth score, but like, I couldn't hum it for you now. You right. Know, I think it all goes back. The fact that the three biggest slashers that have emerged ever from the genre also each have like a unique and iconic piece of music that goes with it as well is is really something yeah i agree with that i think one of the ones that stick out for me is um lost boys like the music that's in it because i feel like lost boys is about that like cool factor so like the soundtrack with it and i mean the guy with the saxophone i mean you can't beat that i i owned the soundtrack as a kid uh, on cassette but i i yeah, because it had that um, uh, cry, cry little sister or whatever that yes. song was called. Like that's the, that's such with a kid choir. Anything with a kid choir is like so creepy and eerie. And what's and they so used that weird? Song several times in that movie, right? Yeah. yeah. And what's so weird about that is he did that song without ever seeing parts of the movie before. Like he he completely just oh, that, did so it. So that like, was written for the movie versus yeah, the song that was they found. Okay. Yeah, he was just like. I guess they kind of gave him a direction and he was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And it ended up just working perfectly. So I guess that makes sense. But I mean, it's just a lot of, I think it's a lot of different, like you get that cry little sister. And then of course you have like lost in the shadows by Lou Graham. And like, there's different the, feelings. The people are strange things. covers on there, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you get just so many different ones. So uh, to me, that's one that sticks out, but I would have to agree. Like, you know, with the big slasher movies, like you can't get any better than John Carpenter. I mean, John Carpenter, period. And like Mm -hmm. that, The Fog, like all of the movies that he does, it's just a lot of really good um, soundtrack. But then also too, like having something that very, like you could play, you know, the, you know, the Halloween and my son would even recognize that. And he's not watching horror movies at nine years old but like he knows that that's like a, a scary movie theme um so that's interesting how like that kind of sears in the back of your brain yeah i think um yeah john carpenter he i mean he's got to have the legacy of, of of a collection of movie scores that are that are phenomenal 
I actually didn't realize he didn't do the music to the thing until recently. Like I just assumed my whole life and somehow never read the credit at the opening until recently that he didn't do the music on that one. Yeah, he didn't. And what's crazy about that is at the time when that came out, like that was very like, this is absolutely horrible, horrendous. Like this should not have been part of the movie. And then they used part of it in, um, the hateful eight i think it was and the quentin tarantino movie and Mm -hmm. um it won like an academy award Um, part of that movie has parts of the score i know it's the same composer yeah it has parts of the score in it and um yeah because i was very interested to read that too but it's weird how like you know when that first came out like it was like that's horrendous you should never do that ever again and then years later, it gets used in a Quentin Tarantino movie. And they're like, that was the greatest thing ever. That just worked perfectly. It's like, okay, well, then we need to go back and say that it was great, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But I guess it worked well, out. I, love, I even love that when, you know, you know, you log into into Shutter, you get kind of like the equivalent of the Netflix, like, da-dum. They have their dun-dun. And it, it almost sounds like the beginning of like an 80s score about, about to start in a movie, but just that little tease, just like, I love that every time I open that app on my TV, it just sets, sets the vibe of whatever I'm about to watch. Yeah, you know that it's, you're getting into the good archive, like you're, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're opening up the vault, it's coming, um, which is kind of leads into our next question. So obviously, <laughs> um, you know, we talk about horror beginnings, we would be nowhere without the universal monsters i'm a huge fan um what is your favorite universal monster oh i think i think frankenstein because as much as he's a monster and does terrible things he he's almost like an accidental he, he's kind of a victim at the same time like it's all by accident and circumstance and just even his creation and birth into the world wasn't wasn't his choice that he was built the way that he was you know he really had no it's like like his destiny was was determined before they even flipped that switch and powered him up and i i just i i think it's just a timeless story too that it just everybody i mean you see it in social media all the time everybody's willing to pile on and and get their torches lit and go charging after something because somebody else has said that they're a monster they they haven't taken the extra few minutes to step back and listen to both sides and kind of understand the situation. It's just like, let's get them. The villagers just ready to burn him to the ground. So I thought it was great to, cause he is scary and he does horrific things, but it's, you know, it's, it's, he's an anti-hero in a way where like, and like, I can't think of an example before him that we, that we had an anti-hero in film. No, I mean, not really. I mean, you know dracula came before that but dracula like we're supposed to hate him for a good chunk of the movie like i think francis Ford coppola's version does a little bit better at showing that but like we're supposed to hate him for a good chunk of the movie because he's this horrendous person and then only after he realizes that you know mina is alive and um well and he she's a replica of his wife does he kind of start having more humanity i would say but even still then he's still a bad person yep um and who makes and and knows it and is very aware and and not trying to do anything to stop it Yeah. yeah i feel like frankenstein and one of my more recent favorites is creature from the black lagoon like i've i've always thought he was cool but like more recently i've related to him because he's just in his own environment and people are coming in and fucking up his shit and they're just yeah. like, hey, we're 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 gonna just do all these things. And he's like, hey, look, I need you guys to just get out of my area and leave me alone. Like, you're gonna just come in and ruin all of it. Um, but yeah, I I feel like both of them kind of are like, they're not meant to be monsters. Like they're monsters, but they're not meant to be monsters. They're these people who are really just trying to like go about and do what they're doing, and they've been yeah. made into monsters. Um, so I I do really like that. Um, so obviously you are a indie horror director. Um, my last question would be, what is an indie film or an indie horror director that we should know about? Oh, um, 
I mean, it's on the bigger side of indie because it premiered at Sundance, I believe, in 2016 or 17, but a movie called uh, The Eyes of Her Mother, The Eyes of My Mother. I don't know if you've seen that black no, and white I haven't. movie. Holy cow, you're in for a ride. It is, uh, it is beautiful and grotesque and tragic and scary all wrapped into one and and very human beautifully shot uh i'm forgetting the director's name nicholas he he did go on to direct the 2020 grudge remake but i won't hold that against him because the eyes of my mother is such an incredible movie and then like the really really indie space let me think do you have a lot of friends that make indie horror movies Who's made something recently that I've seen? I was just at Fantasia. I saw a bunch and my mind is blanking. If I think of it before we cut this off, I will, I will. This, yeah. And, and this I is will tragic find, that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I will find, I'm sure that that's on streaming somewhere. So I will find the eyes um, of my mother would, would definitely be for yeah. at least on rent on iTunes or Amazon or something. Yeah. We will definitely fantastic link movie in the description. Um, so obviously before we start talking about your films, um, what inspired you to get into filmmaking? I, uh, these reels on my wall are from mm-hmm. the theater that I first saw my very first movie. Uh, they had read about me in the paper when they switched to digital and asked if I wanted them. I was like, yes, yes, I do. Uh, my, my dad would take me to the movies often. My dad always rented the horror movies and sci-fi movies that I was far too young to watch, but uh, I was just always movie obsessed. And and my dad, my father's, a, he's a photographer, like hobbyist photographer, had a small business doing it for a while. So I grew up with a dark room in the basement. We always had like an eight millimeter film camera. But really when I was in high school, I, I had a paper route. So I had, I had my own spending money and I used to rent a video camera that our local video store had it. So you could rent it for, you know, weddings or birthday parties or whatever you wanted to film. And eventually I bought one. And, and at that point, just me and the neighborhood kids were making dumb parody movies, Friday the 13th, part 27, or Indiana Jones, and the Lost Remote Controller, or kind of trying to do what Saturday Night Live does with the weekend update, doing our own like funny news stories. Like the Berlin Wall was falling at the time. And, you know, we do it like, actually, I think we have a brick from the wall that one of our reporters brought over. Can I have it? And like a rubber brick would fly in and like, you know, crack the reporter in the skull and just the dumbest, dumbest stuff. And, uh, just, just love, just fell in love with it. When I was in high school, my, we have a little like video and film program and the teacher there, Keith Herrick, uh, who's passed away now, but he was, he was like my, my Obi-Wan at that point of just realizing that I had this gift and, and had this, this desire and did everything he could to pull me out of class to go shoot videos for the school or do whatever. And, and when I, by the time I was in high school, I was like, I, I, my original path was to do something in, in, in the medical field, maybe. And I was just like, I, I can't, I, I have to do this. So just, uh, just, just like many others grew up just loving movies and, and loved, I wanted to be a writer. That was the main thing. I love the writing process of it, but growing up just before social media became so prevalent, uh, I didn't have the ability to go on Facebook or Instagram and be like, who wants to make a movie with me? So it's just a matter of um, figuring out how to do everything on my own and, and stumbling uh, in the dark for years. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see that. But then you go on to make these amazing films like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about The Scare House now. But like it, I just I had not watched it for probably a couple months um like when we originally on clubhouse um Mm -hmm. i know you had talked about it and then i watched it and i think it just kind of got tucked away in my brain a little bit i remembered what it was about but then re-watching it i was like holy shit like it is pretty intense and it's such a good like just revenge story um and it has so many layers to it but um it's so authentic. And I feel like part of that's because you did film on an actual scare house. You filmed on a <laughs> scare house in Windsor. And yep. um, it, I mean, you can definitely tell that because it just, the whole environment just feels authentic. Um, how did you come up with the idea for the scare house? So uh, my, my best friend, Sean Lippert, he's here in Windsor. He owns scare house Windsor, which is your typical, you know, open, open for the, the 
holiday season. It's a haunted attraction that you take your kids or you, you know your your loved ones or friends and just go through and have a good time to get in the the, uh, the Halloween spirit. And it, it's been growing and developing for God, I want to say fifteen or sixteen years. I've been around since the beginning, but at the time he would just set up anywhere that would let him the, the basement of a hotel, an old bar that had shut down. So he's building a temporary haunt and then ripping everything out into storage and then building it again the next year. And we caught him in a year where he, he was in the same location for two or three years. But ever since the first time I walked through, I was like, wow, you must need like 30 people to run this. He's like, are you kidding me? We, we can only afford four people to run this. He's like, I, I pull this rope here that like shakes this thing. And then I've got the, the hockey mask on and I jump out with the ax. And while those people are getting scared, I go through this back door and I'm taking that off and putting on the, the butcher mask and I got the chainsaw. So he's like, you think there's a lot of people in here, but it's really three or four people like the Wizard of Oz pulling some ropes and 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 levers to, to make this all work. And I, I at the time I was working on a movie about a shooting in a high school that that got funded more times than you could possibly imagine and then got defunded more times than you could possibly imagine because real life school shootings kept happening. And and through those first couple of times of seeing the behind the scenes of how a haunt works, I had said out loud, I said, you could, you could literally just kill people in here and hang their bodies and people would just be like, ooh, these guts feel so real. Like they wouldn't, at least for that one night, you would get away with the crime. You could just invite everyone down do away with them and then and then go on the lamb if you if you wanted to and and that sparked the idea and uh when my school shooting movie fell apart for the final time it was the summer of 2012 was the aurora movie theater shooting at the batman yeah. the dark knight return screening and we were we lost some of our funding we were back on our feet towards the end of the year and then sandy hook happened that same year and everybody's just like mm -mm, that's it we're we're done we're not making this movie and one of the uh, grant bodies here in Canada that funds movies said, bring us something not as controversial and, and, and we'll, we'll back it. And that ended up being the scare house. Uh, and originally it was going to be a cast of like men, like a fraternity and, and two guys that do it. Cause typically if you have like that school shooter, that revenge mentality, yeah. it's, 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 it's young white men. That's the, the profile, you know, all of the time, if not the vast majority of the time. And, you know, we're sitting down saying like, man, okay this can have sequels. Like what would the sequels be? I'm like, I don't know, maybe you gender swap it and, and you do like a sorority thing. And like, that's the first movie go write that. And I did. And we were from like May of 2013 or I want to say maybe like April, 2013, we were greenlit and universal studios came on board to be our U S partner. And we were off to the races and shooting that August. Like it happened the fastest it, it's ever happened. So I had the ability of like having the building to kind of write the script to fit what was in there. My wife, Sarah, who's in the film, um, helped me to develop the story because she's like, I was bullied in high school. I know how women like hate on each other. I can really like bring a voice and some insight to that. And I didn't want to be tone deaf as a, you know, as, as, as a dude trying to write a movie about women to not, to not have that influence. Yeah. So she definitely helped shape and, and, and flavor and, 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 get into the minutia of, 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 you know, sort of girl on girl bullying. And, uh, and yeah, that, that's how it all it came together very quickly. It never happens like that in the film industry. It's usually years of struggle. Yeah. I, and I am glad that you brought up the fact that it does touch a lot on interpersonal relationships with women, because I really do feel like that's one of the biggest strong points of this movie is you do get to see like the interpersonal relationships between every single character. And it does kind of highlight how people, I think, kind of forget, you know, men can kind of be toxic to each other, but how catty certain interpersonal relationships can be between women. And it may not start, try to start out that way, but it kind of, there's this unspoken competition sometimes between women um, and especially like in a sorority situation where you're trying to vie for this position that like you feel like is going to hold this status and you get put through some pretty horrific things. So like setting that up is like a premise and having these characters who are not exactly the greatest. It does make you root for the people who are exacting revenge because you can kind of see like, okay, I would probably do the same if they did that to me. Well, I think it, it's interesting too, because obviously they're not, they're not innocent 
in the events that lead that lead to their situation. They're not. Right. Uh, I mean, we can talk spoilers at this point. It's an old movie. You know that if you're if you're sitting festering in prison for two years, thinking up this plot of like, oh, I want to kill them. I can't believe that they said that on TV. I can't mm-hmm. believe that they threw us under the bus like this. That's a lot of time to to live in the darkest part of your mind, and you know, really, really like think awful thoughts and and get caught up. You see people get caught up in uh, the January 6th riot or whatever. These aren't, these aren't like instinctively bad people that even thought that day they were going to get wrapped up. And there's a lot of people that are going to go to jail for, for just sort of following, following the crowd, you know, and and letting, letting the mindset they were in get the best of them. Um, But, you know, it's, it's in the subtext there too, that even, even the way they decided to torture each of the girls mm-hmm. and, and and do away with them, it's just that sick fantasy of like if you were sitting in jail and and, and the last the last most important interaction you had with each of these girls was on this particular night. You knew these things about these girls. You're like, oh, if I ever had a chance to like pick them apart and what what hurts their soul the most, this is exactly how I would do it. Um, you know that that's all in the subtext or kind of in between the lines of the movie. Uh, so I think I th- you know it's it's interesting because like. I don't even know the movie. You said revenge thriller, which I love because that's exactly what it is. It it's not even necessarily a straight up horror movie. Like it obviously no. falls under the horror genre. Um, I, I think something that worked against us a little bit with people's initial expectation of the movie is a title like the scare house, which happens to be the name of the building that they're in and the building that we shot it in. But really, I think you hear that title and you just think straight up, like, you know, horror monster movie kind of thing. Yeah. Not this, not a, not a layered, like, like, you know, subdued kind of revenge thriller where you're really going to have to pay attention to the plots and as it unfolds and you're learning everything about the characters. Yeah, definitely. Like, so, like I said, it had been a minute since I had watched it and like watching this, I'm not going to give too much away because I want our viewers who haven't seen it to go <laughs> watch it. But like the scene with the corset, like I completely forgot about that. And like, I feel like that highlights so much of the depth with the movie, like the fact of they're using this thing that this particular person said, like all the time and figuring out in this particular way. And like, it just made me not want to ever wear a corset ever again (laughs) in my life. Like just thinking about like anyone who's worn a corset or something like that, like as a woman, they can understand like the pain of how like that could be on your body. So then having that like gone to the umpteenth percent in this situation was absolutely just terrifying. Um, So it's just so inventive how they go through it. And there are so many great lines. I know the one that Elena said is sluts and liars they are but tardy they are not and I just had to (laughs) chuckle out loud when she said that um because I think that's that's just great but it really does do a good job at like layering different things because it's not it's not a horror like a straight up horror it's more about these people who are really just kind of going after the people who kind of tormented them for so long and like you said if you sat in jail for the period of time that they had like it makes you think about these different things that you want to do with that person um so you kind of understand where they're coming from and I know like towards the end I'm like they are killers but they have a point yeah it's it's yeah there it's it's a huge gray area right it's all it's all about if 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 you believe a character's mindset and their own their justification for their actions you can you can kind of get on board even if you know that they're they're wrong you mentioned that the line it's funny because my composer adrian ellis uh a lot of times he just he just names the tracks things for when we're going to put out a soundtrack so like Mm -hmm. um some of these i love idiot proof is one of the the title lines (laughs) um uh jesus freak um bitches breakfast is one of the title lines there. I wish I could remember them all, but he always just finds, he takes it from the, the, the funniest lines that are happening in that moment and names the scenes after them. Yeah. yeah Cause one of the taglines <laughs> that I saw on IMDb was really mean girls go all the way. And I immediately <laughs> thought that that's like perfect for that. Cause it is very like tongue in cheek with certain moments. Um, But I mean, for those who haven't seen it, this movie is about two girls 
who get put in an impossible situation um, through a sorority. They get hazed. And unfortunately, because of that, they end up going to jail. And they come back two years later and exact revenge on the people who did it to them. And they use the setup of a scare house as kind of the backdrop to do this. And people kind of just don't realize that they're getting murdered. I mean, these are graphic murders too. Like the pillows. They're, they're literally dressing up to go get murdered. That's yeah. the, the funny part, right? Yeah. The pillows with the um the acid is another one that got me too. Like they're very creative yeah. kills and you can definitely kind of get that in your mind. Like you, you know that they've thought about this for years and years because I mean, they go through some pretty extreme lengths to get revenge on each person in their own element. So I think that that's great. It's funny that you brought up, obviously your wife, Sarah um, plays Corey, um, mm -hmm. I'm always interested because obviously she's also in another movie that you do as well. Um, what is it like working with your wife? It's, it's amazing. Uh, Sarah's the greatest collaborator I've ever had. And so we get, we get married very quick. We dated for about two weeks and then we're married. So in that, in that two weeks, uh, let's just say we weren't watching each other's work. We were occupied. <laughs> and, uh, so we got married with that. Like I had never seen her act in anything. She had maybe seen something I had made at some point in time, you know, and, uh, you know, and then, and then it was this like, well, we could, could we work together? I'm like, well, we don't want to be one of those couples that works together and then then breaks up immediately afterwards. So like, we should try it with a short film. So we, we made a short film for like 500 bucks called to hell with love, uh, which was also the first time that I collaborated with, with, um, Adrian, our composer. And that was only a one day shoot. And, and we got along fantastically. I got to see how, how great she was, how, how good she works with the director on set. And when Scarehouse came around, she was, she only ended up helping me write the story inadvertently because I'd be bouncing ideas off of her all the time. She's a great creative sounding board. And then eventually we had just contributed enough. I'm like, you, you have to be my co-story writer credit on this. It doesn't make sense. You've contributed so much to this project. And when she was auditioning, she was actually auditioning for the role of Lisa, the one that that's got a little bit of fight in her and a little mm. bit bit of self defense skills. Sarah does a lot of stunts. That's usually the kind of thing she would get cast in at the time. This, um, you know, rather butch, little, little, little less prissy of a character. And uh, it was our Canadian distributor with Universal's Greenlight that came back to us and said she's not right for that part. I'm like, yeah, great, no problem, moving on. And uh, and they're like, no, 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 we think she'd be great as as Corey. Uh, and Kimberly Sue Murray, who plays Elena was actually mm -hmm. like Sarah's roommate. They went to college together. They're best friends to this day. Like they just saw each other on the weekend. So the fact that they got to star in this movie together was just, just perfect that the two of them had had such a long history in real life. But yeah, she, she's, um, on, on Scarehouse, like she literally scrubbed toilets. I have a picture of her with like the big yellow, like, like, you know, cleaning gloves on because we were short production assistants one day. Cause this was made very low budget, very scrappy. Right. And, uh, she would do everything. We, we would sit on set every morning and read the scenes of what we're shooting that day and start changing lines. We're just trying to do everything we could to better it. She's great at setting, uh, an example of being a lead actor. That's never with her nose in the air or too good to talk to anybody, but just always being the, if it's late nights and tired, you, you'd never know it about her. She's there to be like a cheerleader for everyone else to keep their energy up. And uh, just, yeah, couldn't couldn't ask for a better lead performer uh, on a movie. And, you know, on top of being married to her, obviously they, people can just say, ah, oh, nepotism. But I'm like, just look at her career outside of anything that we've worked on together. She's doing fine. She's, she's doing amazing projects. And uh, the, just the fact that I, I get that, caliber of person who's willing to be such a team player with the caliber of her acting abilities in in one person is, is it's it's very rare so I'm, I'm i'm very fortunate when the opportunities come up that uh if i have a role that she fits it's uh it's a pretty easy decision to, to cast her and you guys have been married for how many years now it'll be uh 10 years uh at christmas we got married christmas eve so this christmas eve is 10 years See, I think so. Even though you guys got married after two weeks, it worked out because you, you know, you guys didn't yeah, break up listen, after yeah, this year. People that, people that date for eight years and get married and get divorced right away. So, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no one way to do anything in life. 
Yeah, I would never say uh, knowing you from like the conversations that we've had and like seeing Sarah's different work and stuff. I would never say that your placement of her in your films is anything filled with like nepotism or anything like that. I think it's just like she literally fits the bill of like the characters that you're writing because you write a lot of very strong female roles and I feel like that kind of fills her to a T like anything that I've seen her in outside of that like she just kind of embodies that so much so I do think that that's more or less that than you just wanting to put her in a film because she's your wife yeah you would you would just you wreck you wreck the movie sometimes or wreck the tv so casting is like my my priorities are for any movie the story and the script have to be fantastic because great actors and a great director can't fix a bad script. They can make them slightly more tolerable, but you can't. It's got to be a great script. And then you have to have the right actors in the role. Because if you don't believe the actors as the characters, if you don't believe them going through the motions of the movie story, it, it's over. It doesn't matter how well you shot it or what camera you had or how cool the lighting and transitions and music were. It doesn't work if the story and the actors don't work. Those are the two and only super important things in making a movie the rest can get better and and have lots of range and creativity but those two things need to the foundation needs to be there yeah mo most definitely and i can definitely see that from your work and one of which we're about to talk about but for those who haven't seen the scare house it is on tubi currently mm -hmm. and tubi's for free so please do yourself a favor go download it and watch it because it's a great movie um, and, and also tubi we appreciate the support with the ads but if you don't like ads or for whatever reason you don't have a tubi account or can't access it if you go to my website gavinmichaelbooth.com you can find it on there that's there's a vimeo link on there to watch free of charge Oh, great. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, if you go to the description of this episode, we will have all that information in there. Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is Last Call, and that is currently on Peacock. Um, mm -hmm. And that film, holy crap, like, I love it so much. But then to realize that it's a one shot take, and you, you had to film two different one-shot takes at the same time holy shit like that's insane to me like I just couldn't imagine the planning and the preparation and all the work that has to go into it so um what was the experience of doing that because obviously doing a one-shot take takes a lot of effort but then when you're filming two sides of the story at the same time I mean that had to be a lot <laughs> Yeah, I think that I, when we've had Q&As after festival screenings and, and our premieres and such, there's a lot of people that don't realize that we filmed them at the same time. They think we did one and then and then the other. But no, it was it was literally two different camera crews and sound crews, one following her side of the story, one following his side of the story, you know, because because it's being presented in split screen. So you're seeing them both side by side. Right. Um, and, and because the movie largely deals with them on a telephone call, they're actually acting over the telephone. Uh, there was no other way to do it authentically because the whole point of the movie was to keep it raw, keep it as feeling as real as humanly possible and putting the audience in a very uncomfortable position where every word that Beth says in an attempt to save Scott's life could be the worst thing she's saying that could trigger him and, and often does in the movie. You know, she's really the worst crisis worker ever um, <laughs> when it when it comes down to it, regardless if her intentions are good. But it was, it was, uh, I, I mean, I use the joke all the time, like I was going to get old at some point, but I was like, I just keep saying I, I had far less gray hairs when I started that movie than when I, when I finished that movie. And um, we, again, an even scrappier budget than, you know, we made that movie for $50,000 all in. So we, we only had 10 days to rehearse it and four days to film it and get it right. So it was, it was an insane race with a very very small but talented group of people that were willing to take this insane adventure with us and and there were moments even on our second last day of filming where we're like all we might get out of this is a documentary about failing at trying to like make a really <laughs> really big indie movie um because we we were not getting it sometimes and you know the energy just wasn't there from the it, there might have been a take that was technically perfect but then the acting was like uh and then the acting would be great but i buzzed the focus or because I, I was one of the camera operators or i bumped into a wall and mm -hmm. you know wrecked a take so it was it was it was very nerve-wracking that we might not might not be able to actually 
get it, but we did, we just didn't want to do it another way with hiding cuts and things. It it wasn't, you know, a lot of people will look at it initially and just say gimmick. And a lot of our reviews start with like, you know, basically came for the gimmick, fell in love with the story. And um, we just thought it was, it was the only way to tell this movie. If you cut this movie up or shot it like a traditional film, it wouldn't have the same energy as sort of that hanging on every breath from, from either side of that phone call as, as, as the night unfolds. Yeah, because it's a very, it's a simple story kind of at its core because Sarah obviously plays Beth and then she is a, a single mom. She's trying to work and she is working at a, a crisis hotline um, as a janitor and ends up intercepting the phone call of Scott and is trying to basically talk him down from committing suicide. And mm-hmm. that kind of very honest raw take for the film does so much with it and I mean like I I, obviously with going and researching for this interview watching different reviews like I know there were certain people that were really like trying to look for different things that like that you kind of hit in there where you like cut the take or anything like that and you didn't I mean it it kind of speaks for itself but it is just so powerful the way that you did it with her performance and then obviously um scott as well like the kind of going back and forth it's just real and raw and it's very just you kind of walk away from it like holy crap what did i watch like i don't know how to feel about this i feel things but i don't think i know how to feel about how i'm feeling right now and it makes you want to go back and watch it but it is a really it's a good shot movie and it just kind of shows you when you get something so like pure, perfect, how it could just translate so well. And I'm not saying that just because I know you, but like really, honestly, it's just a moving piece about like this whole like storyline that just kind of, I don't know if it would have worked any other way, I guess is what I, I'm trying to say. It's interesting too, because there's a take that we all thought was better than the take we used to release the movie. Uh, but Sarah says one word incorrect that rendered the take unusable, even though it was technically better with camera movements and focus and we thought their performance was better. Um, but Sarah said one, she says a name of somebody related to the Scott character that she hasn't learned yet from Scott. She was supposed to say family and she says, Emily. And the camera was just right in her face and a close-up, and there was no way to dub it or change it or fix it. So we had to throw out the entire take. Um, and that's sort of the nature of making a movie. But then in hindsight, if we'd use that take and not the one that we used, it wouldn't be the same movie. It would in many ways, but there's just something about the take we use that that works. And, the, and, and it being a little more rough around the edges, I think, is part of what what makes it connect. And we, you know, when you make any movie, you have no idea how an audience is going to react to it until, until they see it. And, and David yeah. and I thought we made a really strong movie, but you know, there's no stars in it. It's a super soul crushing <laughs> subject matter. Um, you know, the movie doesn't really pull any punches and we, we debuted it. And, and in LA, we had a, a we we're at the Chinese theater as part of dances with films. And we had this amazing, like, 500 person, 600 person audience, like a massive standing ovation. And like, just, just this sea of faces with tears in their eyes. And David and I were kind of just stunned, honestly stunned that night that like it had had the impact it had. And then we continued to see that as we, as we traveled with it. And uh, I actually, it, it screened locally here at a theater that, that rented it uh, or she was showing for two nights last Monday. So exactly about a week ago, exactly a week ago. And, um, I, I went up to do a Q&A and I actually ended up getting really emotional during the Q&A, which had never happened at any of, of, of the other ones, but I actually had like a full on like sobbing, couldn't catch my breath uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Q&A session. So that was, uh, that was interesting, but I think it was just, it was a culmination of like coming out of the pandemic, you know, we didn't get to do a proper theatrical right. release that we wanted to with the film. I hadn't seen it, seen an audience react to the film for over two years we had a lot of problems with with a, a distributor in this film that we just finished like fighting that battle and removing the rights back because the film was also very mismarketed and misreleased, which was unfortunate because David and I, David who plays Scott in the movie that wrote it with me, produced right. it with me, 
we did everything right going through the festivals and we did everything we could to build up the hype for this movie. And then the, the scary thing with any film and filmmakers putting that film into the hands of a distributor that makes yes. a bunch of promises and then falls incredibly short. And that's just, that's part of the course. That's most filmmakers experiences with distributors. I think just coming out of all of that um, and having that really engaging conversation, then also being able to reflect on what this movie has meant to me, the way that we made it sort of uncompromised against all, everybody told us, don't do it, hide cuts. You're never going to get it. It's not going to work. So I just think the reflection of all that just, uh, just brought me to this, really really emotional points a week ago so it was very out of character for me to be sobbing in public but uh it happens <laughs> i mean definitely when you go through all of that but i mean it is a very it's a strong movie that i think appeals to a lot of people i know for me personally like when my family members hear about like what i'm talking about like with horror movies and stuff they don't naturally get it but i know like having a conversation with my grandmother this last week um my grandmother obviously asks like what I'm doing and stuff like that. And I told her about last call and my grandmother's mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, you can go ahead and add that to my peacock. I'll try to watch that at some point <laughs> in time. And I was like, okay, well, you know, there you go. It just proves the point that like it, you know, this has a very strong audience. So I can definitely see that. But it, I mean, obviously it's frustrating as a filmmaker, but then having a film during the pandemic had to like definitely add to that as well. So I can understand being emotional. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting, but I think what this movie also, you know, David and I, we really tried to do our research and 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 be, you know, tell an honest story with integrity about mental health. We didn't want like I don't I don't like movies and shows that use suicide as like just a plot gimmick, you know, to kind of yeah, you know, purposely try to like twist people's emotions or just get from point A to point B. Uh, and, and again, not that there's anything wrong with it, it's just not my my preference. And and the fact that we've been able to raise money for Canadian mental health with this film. We plan on doing more in the future like that. And then just the, the outpouring of people in, in, in lobbies after screenings that, that tell us their personal mental health stories or family members who have committed suicide and like what the movie brought out for them or, or how they felt they wish they could be like Beth when, when they answered the call or maybe missed the call. And they, you know, like we've, we've heard all sorts of stories and it's been, it's been really you know, I, I obviously movies can touch people, move people. Cause I've been moved by movies, you know, like life is right. beautiful. When I saw that movie, like just destroyed me and ET as a kid, like still, like I remember the emotions of seeing that movie for the first time. Uh, but I hadn't, I hadn't experienced, I'd made movies and music videos that people had liked before, right. but I think it's only in the last five, six years where I've kind of hit my stride where I'm like, Oh, I'm good at, I'm good at doing crushingly depressing stories that have a glimmer of hope and some beauty in them. A lot of my music videos have kind of taken that path and last call. It's it's the first time I've had the experience of like an audience, seeing an audience react so emotionally to something that I had made. I, I think that's part of what I couldn't, couldn't have expected. Uh, and uh, still, still processing that, that fact that something I made could have that effect with people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've done a lot. Like you said, you've done music videos, you've done different things. You do a lot of shorts. What do you like about short films? Uh, the shorts, so they get done faster. Um, it's, you know what, for me, it's uh, typically shorts are a stepping stone to features. That That's the mm -hmm. traditional thing of, I'm going to make a few shorts. They're, they're, they used to be, it was like the calling card films. Uh, you know, get some YouTube attention, get some festival attention, then try to pitch features to show people, look, I can make movies. But for me, I made a feature film first before I ever made shorts. And it's about staying creative and getting, getting to play in different genres. Cause I, you know, I don't get offered a lot. I don't, I don't have a, I, I love comedy movies. I just don't have a lot that I'm pursuing. Um, I just get to play in different genres and work with different actors, work with different cinematographers and crew and just kind of keep building a team and a network of people. And and there's, there's a staying relevant is always important in any arts field. So like being able to have shorts out at feature or, or shorts out at festivals more often and, and travel and meet, meet more people I hope will become my more peers that will become my collaborators. Uh, shorts are great for that. And it's, it's just always fun to, to be on set and, especially lately I've been directing shorts that I didn't also write and I'm not producing. So also learning to just play the role of the director 
maybe the editor sometimes, but nothing else. Uh, eventually I'd love to get into directing TV or be a director for hire for movies. Uh, so it's all, all of it feels like just constant, constant learning and training and, and trying new things. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think you just, your IMDb is like a treasure trove. Like I say this <laughs> with different people, but like truly there's just so much that you've done. Like, I mean, you just really, you do it all. Um, what are some upcoming future projects we should look out for you? Mm. Oh, I have a fun one. I'm, I'm in the middle of filming right now. It's a documentary TV series called The Boo Crew. And that is, uh, about, it's an eight part series about Scarehouse Windsor. It, it's it's about what it's like to run a haunted house as a business. How do you design it, build it, and then actually operate it during the Halloween season? Because it's chaos in there every night. They have four dinner rooms in there now where you, can, you get these, the ones like Cabin in the Woods, one's uh, like an evil Mad Hatter theme, one's Fortune Teller, or Curse Manor. So you get friends together and you're now in this 90 minute dinner experience where the music and the lighting, like, you know, things are flickering on the wall. Your waiter's part of the storytelling. There's, there's a specific story to each of the four rooms. They have four different haunted mazes under the one roof of Scarehouse Windsor. There's a bar in there now that's built out of two coffins called the, the, the Deadway Bar and Kill. Um, it, it's just genius. an awesome building and, and such a fun way to spend part of your Halloween season here. And I just kind of want to go behind the scenes because I, you know, I have years of history of, of doing their promotional videos. The fact that we shot the movie there, this movie played all over the world and helped put a spotlight on the haunt. Um, it's just, I'm just, if anyone's going to make that documentary, it's me. So I have that, uh, I have a new short called artifice, which is a sci-fi short that's out at festivals. It's playing in Hamilton, Ontario, November 5th. It's playing here, my hometown at Windsor international film festival on the 27th, hoping that that continues to go to festivals. And then I do have a, a vampire movie coming up. That's my next feature. I don't, I don't have a date yet that we start shooting, but I would say, uh, I don't want to say, but it'll be very soon. It, it will be very, very, very soon. And one of the movies I talked about earlier, when you're asking me questions, the lead actress in one of those movies will be the lead actress in this movie. So that's, that's all the hints I can give at this point in time, but I'm looking mean, forward to it. My interest is already peaked to like you, all you have to do is say vampire movie. And I am immediately like, yep, I'm going to watch that. I think um, we have something original to tell with this one too. I think we've come up with a, a pretty original take on, on vampirism. I think that, yeah, I'm super excited about that. I'm always into, I mean, I'm wearing a Dracula t-shirt right now. Um, so, I mean, I'm always into vampires, but I think vampires, people stand, tend to stick to only certain directions with vampires and they really don't highlight when they go off that character thing. Like, I mean, one of the ones that I really love is 30 Days a Night. And I feel like people just kind of like, are like oh yeah that was movie okay we're gonna move on like they, yeah. i don't think they like didn't like the fact that it wasn't like the super seductive vampire so like there are a lot of different vampire movies that i think are just so good and so creative but they don't get as much hype because it's not your you know tall dark and handsome vampire who's trying to pursue you mm. um so i do like when other people try to do different things outside of the box because i feel like vampires even though they're everywhere they're it's all kind of the same story so getting a different story i think is it's harder nowadays because people expect a certain thing from vampire movies i'm i'm excited because i i i had positive reviews from friends that i trust on both the new interview the vampire series yes and let the right one in which let the right one in is my favorite vampire movie yes. of all time it is so beautiful and so well told and so well acted but knowing that the series that people that I trust their opinion, like have liked it, it gives me excited. And then what we do in the shadows is my yeah. current favorite television show. Like it just keeps being hilarious. I just started getting into that, but I can testify for the fact that the new interview with the vampire, I get really upset when I see people kind of knocking it because I feel like they're like, Oh, it's not the, you know, interview with the vampire with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. But it's more to this actual story of Anne Rice. And that's what I grew up in. Like, yeah. I remember reading those books when I was younger and how much I just love being immersed into this. And like the biggest part that was always missing from 
the original one was the kind of seduction that happens between Louis and Lestat and how he gets pulled into this. And this TV series does a really good job at like kind of luring you in. You're going in with him on this and well, and hopefully they're going to get to do the other books that the movies never got to. Right. Yeah. So I think they are because I know AMC has the rights for all of the in races now. And, and, like the first two seconds of them playing interview with a vampire, um, they have a title card that says the immortal universe, um, which they're setting up as mm. the Anne Rice, you know, cause they have the Mayfair witches that are now coming out in January, um, which was also Anne Rice's. So they're Got trying it. to connect it that way, but they did. I mean, they made a reference I think I picked up on this this week. Um, I have to go back and rewatch um, because I'm so mystified when I watch it because it is very, um, whatever you thought you would want from Interview with a Vampire as a series, it's just so much more. Um, and I'll have to tell you about that off camera because I don't want to spoil a certain part for somebody, but, um, there's just, there was a certain scene within the first one that I was just like, holy shit, whatever I thought about interview with a vampire being like, this is a thousand times more than what it was going to be. But um, they do reference Marius in this new one. Like they had a picture and they talk about him. So like they're, they're kind of talking about smaller things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that sets up for more, but I do think that they're going to go off into like queen of the dam. They're going to go in with me for witches. They're going to bring in the whole, you know, because there's all these different clans and different things going on, but they do do a really good job at like picking and they're not afraid to kind of lean in to the subtext of the original novel and the relationship between Louis and Lestat and how he gets sucked into it. So I think it's very I think that's a good example of how you do a vampire story, right? I mean, if you're going to do it, do it that way. Um, but I'm excited for let the right one into I have not seen it yet, but that's one of my favorites as well. So I'm kind of interested to see like how that's going to take place now. Yeah, I'm it's I, I'm generally not a fan of reboots and just retelling the same story. But I also do understand, especially when something was a novel adapted to a film, mm-hmm. there's generally a lot that had to be cut. And even if the movie worked and was was great, you know, there's probably there's probably more to be told. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've heard from other people that it really does bring more of the dad story, which I guess I kind of want to learn more about mm. is, you yeah, know, I've you never kind read of, the novel, so I'm not Yeah, sure. I've never read the novel either, but I kind of want to know more because in the movie, you know, it's kind of, he's briefly in there um, and then he's not, but in the series, I'm interested to see like how that devolves. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So please, um, I will link Gavin's Instagram where you can find him, his website, everything down below. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I appreciate it. It's always super cool to have people that I really just connect with come on. And I know a highlight for me uh, during the pandemic was Clubhouse and just getting to interact with people was really cool. But I'm so glad to have you on because I just think your films are great and I want people to go check them out. So thank you for coming. Thank on. you. I no, I I appreciate that. And honestly, as an indie filmmaker, uh, it's it's the all all thanks on this side because without without podcasts and and the blogs and 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 the people just really trying to champion independent films that they like, we we don't find our audience. So all all thanks is on this side of the uh, of the Zoom. Yep. No problem. Uh, so until next time, this is me. Cassandra I keep forgetting my name I'll tell you the whole story about that in a minute but um me Cassandra from the Horrorcraft podcast saying goodbye and stay spooky